You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 363, stop chasing pointless goals, it's time you got washed, the long decline of Paul Gascoigne, and Larry David and the psychology of queuing. It's all coming up after Todd Rundgren and Time Heals. All voices, all instruments and production, all by the maestro himself, uh, given away free as a seven-inch single, in a seven-inch single sort of insert with the album Healing in 1981, Todd Rundgren and Time Heals. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 363. I'm Terence Stackham and, oh, now listeners... 
don't tell her, okay? We, we mustn't disillusion her, okay? And here she is, uh, Harry Kane's future wife. It's Juliet Harris. I mean, I think I've moved on to Gareth Southgate now, but thank you very much indeed for, uh, for your kindness as ever. Hello, everyone. Um, George, I learned a new uh, piece of slang this week. And oh, it, did it, you? I mean, I'm, I'm always entertained by your uh, occasional collisions with the modern world. Yes, yes. It, it, it's, uh, it sort of freaks me out a bit, but it does keep me in touch with you young people. It's all about being... I, again, loving the fact that I am you young people. I'm, I'm, I'm still con- uh, treating this as, a, as a, a, a sort of relative term rather than necessarily a, a value a value attached term <laughs> it's about being washed not washed up um there's a huge gulf between being mm. washed it seems and washed up as we know washed up means you've had your day the party's over you've given up on life and so on but thanks to zach Barron and an article in gq mm. magazine this week um being washed it, I, I learned means you're you're sort of in the railway station of life, waving goodbye uh, to your edge and your youth. You're probably in your 30s or 40s, but you haven't given up. You're just accepting of the life you're living. Maybe maybe your new goals are, are, are to try out a new restaurant, maybe to get to Ikea just as it opens, uh, to beat the queues. <laughs> uh, maybe feeling elated that you finish the quick crossword in the newspaper just as the clock reaches 10pm, which is your new bedtime. Now, Jules, you're you're in your early 30s, and I suspect Mm. Zach Barron is aiming his column in GQ at your generation. Would you say your lifestyle is washed? Well, I have to say, I I mean, I had to read this article about four times before (laughs) I was really sure what what it was going on about. But I don't mean that unpleasantly. Mm. It was very chewy, wasn't it? There was a lot Mm. going on in this GQ. I don't often read GQ. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not for me. But I I did find this quite interesting. Um, So, and bless you for saying I'm in my early 30s. I have, if if one is treating (laughs) things mathematically, I only have. Um, just under two months of my early 30s left before I turn 34 and then I am mid uh. which uh, maybe that's going to be a whole new world of wash I don't know I, the thing is is that I'm I haven't lived a very linear life and in some ways I have this is oh this sounds like I'm in Sue's corner like I do every time I talk about myself on this podcast but um but I it's so in a in a professional way I suppose I have lived a sort of a linear life and that I've you know I've decided what I wanted to do when I was 13 I did my GCSEs and my A levels and my degree and my law college thing and then I went off and qualified as a solicitor and I've had a bit of a zigzaggy career in that I've ended up in places that you know I haven't liked working and I've had to move sideways to get away and all that sort of thing but now I, I seem to be in a sort of a middle managementy type position I've accidentally been qualified for nine and a half years which is a wow. bit nuts and. Um, and yet I seem to live this slightly unlinear in life. And I, I, I was washed probably <laughs> when I was about 24. Mm. And I was washed for about three or four years and got really into watching Gardener's World on Friday nights oh, instead of going yeah. out. And, you know, gave up drinking for ages. And partly because I wasn't very well. And that was, you know, mm. when you talk about people being washed, this guy is writing, for, I think, from a position of privilege in that, you know, quite a lot of people i know that have suffered from um chronic fatigue type things find themselves being washed um just as a way of getting through the day really so so maybe that's an element in it but i've gone through periods of being washed then i've gone through periods of you know going out all the time and having a great time and drinking too much and all that sort of thing but um i don't know if i am washed or not i think i am washed in the sense that 
I've tried to be washed recently, and as part of my trying to break my addiction to my phone, which really isn't working, mm. I am trying. I haven't even finished reading the book. Um, I need to start reading the book again. <laughs> As of that, that's an indictment. I started really reading How to Break Up with Your Phone, and I actually lost interest about third of the way through. <laughs> I need to start doing that again. But um, I, I do feel fairly washed in the sense in the sense that oh, I'm trying to be more washed in the sense that. I took some of this as being being comfortable in who you are, which mm. I have been actually. And I have been since actually weirdly since turning thirty. Everyone said this is the sort of thing that might happen, and I thought, oh God's sake, you know, it's just a number, isn't it? It's just a numerical. What what's the <laughs> point in that? But actually, I have genuinely felt largely more content during my thirties than I did during my twenties. Um, I don't feel that pressure to sort of rat race as much. Mm. I mean, I don't really. There are some women that you know, some women of my age who might hear the ticking of a biological clock that hasn't really happened to me and i'm not sure if it will um and yeah i I do i mean i had to say there are days where when i've decided to stay in instead of going out and i find myself bumbling around the flat baking and listening to some jazz records lots of instrumentals or (laughs) non-instrumentals if i feel possessed by the spirit of you Mm. and um and you know just reading or watching a bit telly i i you know i like those times Mm. i think those times are great and and it's difficult to tell whether I don't want that as a life. And I think the problem is that this article is quite linear and it's kind of assuming that your whole life is going to be lived at one particular pace and that you'll want to be in one particular way. And there are times when I love going out and, you know, having a couple of drinks. And there are other times when I think, well, I think, do you know what? I'm quite, I'm quite happy not doing this. The, coolest thing about not drinking is that you can drive yourself out and then when you're fed up, you can drive yourself home again and you don't have to worry about queuing for taxes or, and I've, I've never felt that pressure there are some people i think that feel that pressure particularly around drink and i do think in britain we as a nation have quite an unhealthy relationship with alcohol and particularly from a young age i think and there's this huge kind of culture around binge drinking which i never felt that partly because i was never allowed out but i never found the idea of sitting in bus shelters drinking fosters <laughs> particularly appealing and i still don't it has to be said and then i went through a stage of practice drinking a bit more in my 20s but i can remember even at law college when i was 21 one of my friends saying to someone else once, and not at all critically just as an observation they were talking about staying out and i I'd, I'd gone to get my coat because i was going home and someone went oh you're going and this my friend of mine said oh yeah Juliet gets to a certain point in the evening and she says she's had enough, says goodbye to everyone and then leaves. She's not one of these people that says they're going to leave and then doesn't. She just says, all right, I'm done now. Bye, guys. And just and just pops up and no one ever minds. And, I, and, it's, and, I, and, you know, and I still am like that now. And I've got, a, I've got a gang of friends that are a lot older than me. And there are a couple of people who are beginning to approach their 40s. And I can see them raging against the dying of the light in a way. And, and you know, so and the people that are much older than me, you know, they, they we, we have parties and sometimes they all take drugs and that. And, and I, I am the one that puts on my coat <laughs> at quarter to two, which I still consider to be madly late. And go, mm. bye, guys, I'm, I'm off. I'll see you later. Have a lovely evening um, slash early morning. And, um, and you know, I, I can get in my car and drive home. And, and you know, I don't know if i've always if i've always had periods of washedness i'm not sure i i'm not sure if if you have to reach a certain age to be happy in yourself i wonder if this whole being cool or being washed business is, is an attempt to fill the gap for those people who are somewhere between us my generation baby baby boomers and the millennial generation it, it, well is that is that not just generation x because i thought generation x was um 
Now let me get this right. I always mm-hmm. get the sums seem to change every waking day. But uh, I'm <laughs> led to. I'm just about a millennial. Millennials are people that are born between eighty four and two thousand. Mm-hmm. So I am the oldest swinger in town as far as the millennials are concerned. Yeah. There's now something called Xennials, oh. which a friend of mine is, which are people born between nineteen seventy seven and nineteen eighty three, and it seems to be the differential seems to be internet use. Oh. So people that perhaps had dial up but didn't have smartphones, if you see what I mean. Right. Um, a Generation X is something that was sort of there's the, the dating is less precise to this, but um, Douglas Copeland wrote the, wrote mm. the book that kind of sort of sort of um, sort of uh coins the phrase but it's it's ranging for it's ranging from early to mid 60s to the 1980s in terms of 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 ages so you'd say that that baby boomers are obviously the people sort of in the years you'd say from 45 to the the early to mid 50s and i think that generation x is sort of a little bit later than that up until the late 70s so so yeah i i don't know i I don't know why we always need to put people into box it was quite Mm. interesting reading the article from the perspective of this guy and just kind of reading about his thoughts and his life and stuff that was really interesting but i'm not entirely sure if one could entirely stitch a movement around it no i think so but if, if it means a a more relaxed lifestyle then i'm all for that because the world and life itself seems to move far too quickly and oh absolutely with too much and anxiety being people yeah. far too many people feeling sort of anxious these days and absolutely and i like the idea that you know you can just go for a nice walk or you know yeah. think I'd, I'd really, I have to say, I did, and I don't want to waste stitches around material goods, but I experienced a, a period of washness this evening because I finally went and bought the silver brogues I wanted from Marks and Spencer's. Oh, now, that is peak wash, that, isn't it? That really is. They, 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 <laughs> silver, did you say? Yeah, silver brogues. Oh, yes, I, I, I can put a picture on social media for, for people oh, that are interested later on. I think that's vital uh, after that uh, revelation. Revel- yes, and on that bombshell. Yes. Paul Gascoigne, is he washed or is he washed up? He's been in the yeah, he's been in the news again for rather awkward reasons. Uh, that's next after Kellis. I said her from the city, so her got to be witty, witty. She said him from the country, so him got to be funky, funky. I'm a millionaire 
whether it's cheese, there are rats. Wherever there are rats, there are cats. Wherever there are cats, there are dogs. If you got the dogs, you got bitches. Bitches always out to put their paws on your riches. If you got riches, you got glitches. If you got glitches in your life, computer, turn it off and then reboot her. Now you back on. Can't just put the cap on the old bottle. Once you pop it, that'll spoil it. Don't and drink it and enjoy it. Oh, mama, I'm a millionaire. If we go back to different periods of our life, it's funny how music can sum up certain kind of um, certain sort of times of our lives. And whenever I hear this, I think this is a lovely summer tune, by the mm. way. And this is from an excellent album, which is called Tasty. Um, I, whenever I hear this tune, somehow I am sat in my friend's house at university so i am still if i shut my eyes now and listen to this tune i would still be sat on a sofa in a slightly damp house that was 53 cardiff road in norwich probably slightly hung over on a sunday morning sat with my mates and this will probably be on the t4 segment on uh, on channel four or it would be playing out of a radio or something and and i'm just there I'm there at that moment in time again, and it, and I love it for that reason, and also because I think it's just such a cool song. I and being a bit of a nerd, I always quite liked uh, Latin declensions, so I like this song where they're going, "I is rich, we is rich, she is." Rich. I quite like that sort of slightly scholastic element to it. But I think Khalees is great, and I I do love Milkshake and Trick Me from the album. It's an astonishingly strong kind of kind of album, but I I I just love that, and I think it's it, I think that um. Andre 3000 from Outcast rap on it is so classy as well. I, I just think it's a it's a little slice of it never got a huge amount of it's never held up as a classic, but I think it stands up. But given that record is probably getting on for 14 or 15 years oh, old, it word. stands up tremendously well. I think mm, that's terrific. Now there's something rather cheerless and forlorn when we look at the career, indeed the life, of Paul mm-hmm. Gascoigne. He last had any sort of job in football back in 2005, which is about the sort of era you were just talking about, really, when mm. he had a very, very short spell as manager of a of non-league club, uh, Kettering Town. And I think we, we may tend to see Paul Gascoigne's football playing career as more successful than it was in reality, because looking back, it was rare moments in the sun tempered with a, a series of enormous def- disappointments were often self-inflicted mm. and increasingly in recent years Gascoigne has appeared in the media only when he said or done something inappropriate enough for the tabloid newspapers to pick up on it and in this regard Paul Gascoigne is running a parallel life to Morrissey where all goodwill and affection based on past successes is now being heavily outweighed by stupidity and poor decision making in their in the in their contemporary lives. Now this week Paul Gascoigne once again featured in the tabloid press after he was filmed in a pub making puerile homophobic comments. In the in the limit of all this, Jules, should we feel sorry for Paul 
Gascoigne, or should we be condemning him? Do you know, I find it almost um, almost impossible to say with Paul Gascoigne, and it's it's just it's horrible. It's like George Best all over again. Mm. Not that George Best was ever reported as having made any of those comments, mm. can I just stress. But I am sorry to see someone that was so great at what he did unravelling in public and I you know I don't condone homophobic language at all it makes me really angry you can maybe talk about whether or not it's you know a cultural thing whatever I don't know but I am I am just so sad it makes me really sad I take I I, you know I'm so sad that I can't even try and get cross about the, the stuff that he does because it's just it's just so horrible and I hate the fact that you know like you know the round moat thing that you know the tabloids mm. just kind of feast on it really and i just you know i just i'm i'm sorry i'm sorry that that he seems to be living such a such a sad life really and i don't i don't mean that as a criticism of him it's just that i'm i'm sorry that that he has come so undone really and and it's i find it hard to talk about because you know i my abiding memory of Italian 90 was that I was really annoyed that ITV suspended their children's TV programming. But in my in my defence, I was five at the time. So so perhaps in my world, first World Cup was USA 94. I know that it's I meant to sort of, despite the fact that World in Motion is my favourite, my favourite, one of my favourite World Cup songs, I've learned to love that retrospectively rather than at the time. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe that is an example of me being washed. I don't know. But anyway, I, um, I find it, I, I don't know, I just I just I almost can't find the words really. I um I just um I I I just I just think it's I can't believe that someone can go from being such a such a national figure, such a hugely popular and well-known figure that when a high court judge asked who is Gaza, it was seen as an absolute sign that the judiciary were completely divorced from reality. It's a bit like not like asking who Harry Kane is, I suppose, but it but it's almost mm. like that when someone is so so sort of seared on the on the consciousness of the nation that that then you you know you, you we don't know who they are and i suppose gadza's always had a career of sort of downfalls and and slight self-destruction my first proper football memory does involve gadza actually and i remember watching the 1991 fa cup final oh, between yes. nottingham forest and tottenham and i remember seeing paul gas going on the floor and not knowing why he was there and asking my mum and dad, I can I can still see it if I shut my eyes, I'm sat on the floor watching the telly and asked my mum and dad what was going on and they carefully explained to me like you would do to a six year old child as I was then that Gaza had tried to hurt somebody by tackling them in a very you know in a very violent way and actually all he had done was damage himself and wasn't that a lesson <laughs> etc yeah. but uh, the, yeah, the bible according to football has filtered through my parents but um yeah it, and and of course that then messed up the whole Lazio move and it seemed to kind of he did have you know that that brief renaissance he did very well at Rangers mm. and of course Euro 96 and the the infamous dentist chair celebration and that wonderful goal against Scotland that preceded it but again you know the 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 Glen Hoddle years and you know being caught outside the kebab shop at five a.m. and all that kind of stuff, um, you know I'm I am sorry that that you know that there hasn't been a sort of a redemption time for Paul Gascoigne and I'm sorry that he doesn't really seem to have anyone around him that can stop him from doing these things really and and you know and the tabloids the tabloids keep having their fill and it's it's just so horribly dispiriting i i can't it's so sad and so dispiriting and he's been so he's been in such decline for so long that you know i don't 
I don't have the will or the heart to get angry about the homophobic slurs because it is just all so horrible. Yeah, there's there's something unnerving about watching Paul Gascoigne's life unfold, I think. He's one of those people who, um, if you see their name trending on social media, you fear the worst. Instinct tells Absolutely. you, you know, he's not in the news because he's been awarded a no. knighthood. And, you know? and that was and that was the same with uh, well, sort of for my generation. I remember the 18 months that preceded Amy Winehouse's death. Mm. Wasn't quite social media wasn't quite at its at, at the height it is now then, but I still remember, you know, hearing Amy Winehouse. You know, every time there was a story in her, it seemed almost to be negative, and you kept thinking, why is nobody intervening and stopping this? She kept, you know, being mm. drunk and out of it on stage, and you kept thinking, oh god, what's going on? I can still remember being sat in a pub with someone, and and in the Prince Albert in Brighton, and we were eating, and I remember they started playing Amy Winehouse, and neither of us knew what was going on, so we just kind of talked in terms of hope for her, mm-hmm. and that, you know, we hoped that someone would be able to help her, and that she would be able to come back in, she was so talented, and it was only when I left the pub and checked my phone to see where the next person I was meeting was, that it appeared that Amy Winehouse had died, and that's why they put the record on, and so, it's, and, it, and it's horrible, watching watching these things happen in slow motion and it seems to be even worse in the modern era where you know everyone's a photographer now aren't they so when mm. Gaza got snapped out in Soho when he shouldn't have been I remember seeing a documentary where the guy that took the picture um saw him out realized it would be a story he was just some random bloke but I think slightly middle class you know so he had the news to think oh well if I take this picture and sell it I could make some money bought a snappy snaps camera off of one of those places that is always open in so then was always open in soho took a picture jimmy five bellies or whoever it was the friend it was spotted it and realized had the wherewithal to realize the, the implications and tried to wrestle it off him and this bloke didn't and got away and he then went and got the picture developed at one of those all-night labs again the only thing you've you know soho's the only place you'll find these and got it developed and then sold it to the tabloids and of course now you wouldn't even have to go to that faff would you really you just you just take a picture on your phone and that's that's why we the, the goldfish bowl is ever smaller isn't it and ever ever more reflective and i'm just you know i'm it's just crap i just i just don't you know it's it's we will eat ourselves in the end without without you know obsession with celebrity and the sidebar shame on the daily mail website and all that all that kind of stuff it's it's it takes the magic away from it we talk about this with rock stars you know it takes the allure away from people how can we think that people are icons how can we have you know how can we have amazing artists to learn you know and people talented people to look up to when you know when we are just faced with their grimness all the time it's it's and and you know and Gaz you know Gaza could go away and be quiet, couldn't he? But the problem is, is that you know he wasn't. This wasn't even a public appearance. He was in a pub, wasn't he? He just he went was, to the pub. Yeah, in the bar, and, this, yeah. and this is and this is you know I am, you know I I'm just sorry and sad, and I don't know what else to say really. Um, it, it is it is very sad that it, it, these days he's more likely to be featured in the press because he's turned up at a police siege with a fishing rod, as you say. But he's he's still. What I found quite amazing when I looked up his age, he's still only 51 years old, which is very young. And um, But he seems destined to be exploited always by aspiring managers or agents. Well, with... absolutely, because he's... I mean, I think that he always... I always really, you know, he's always really made me laugh when being interviewed. But he's always had a reputation for being daft as a brush and being, mm. I don't mean this at all unpleasantly, but being a slightly simple soul, which is always part of his appeal. But, of course, there's a downside to that. And there's always these ever more disastrous appearances at dismal speaking engagements and these sort of conventions, memorabilia-type conventions. But I suppose 
we simply don't know, and, and of course neither do they, what makes people like Tiger Woods, Anthony Weiner, Paul Gascoigne make such poor decisions. And I suppose while that remains the case, we'll always have people who seem to have the world at their feet, but then they find their success what turned to ashes before their eyes. Absolutely. There are there are some people that um there are some people that just that, that seem to even if they're not that bright themselves, they seem to be bright enough to realise that there are certain parts of your life that you have to defer to other people. For example, David Beckham always mocked for being not very bright, mm. as was as was his partner. But, you know, they've been sensible enough in their business interest to let other people handle that sort of thing, haven't they? And look how, look how much success it's brought them. Yes, there's an absolute contrast, really, in the, the two sort of lifestyles and the outcomes there, really. Um, does your heart sink at the sight of a queue? Are you a pusher-inner? That's next after I Am Clute. Do you dare take a breath? Do you dream of a tragic death? I know you do Do you wail? Do you weep? You sing yourself to sleep You delicate flower And so what is love? From your favorite sky You were born Forth from joy And you're every girl and boy You know you are You know you are And you dress Like a dame And you burn on a Catholic flame By the hours By the hours Put cheap bleach on your hair You know you do You know you do Do you dare take a breath? Do you dream of a tragic death? You delicate flower bands that mainstream success it just seemed just out of reach uh, this track too it released in 2004 as a single inexplicably didn't reach the charts and now they're in hiatus as a band that was i am clute and from your favorite sky yes i could never understand why they didn't experience 
either the same level of success as Elbow, or if not, mm. even a Doves type band. You know, I yeah. I always love that. So I heard that on a on a, I first came across that on a, a, a cover mount CD from Q. So again, some years ago, that was like a summer themed CD, and that was on it. And I always loved that song. I thought they were brilliant. And I saw I Am Clutes at university when they were supporting during breaks. And then my flatmate, who I went to see them, was so taken with them that she then organised for us to go and they played themselves as a headliner in another venue in Norwich. And I heard the song on the CD. I thought it was brilliant. And I, you know, never thought I would, you know, see them again. I hadn't planned to. And then when I was at Latitude Festival in 2008, they played on the main stage and I knew they were there and I thought, oh, I've seen them before, so I won't bother to see them. And just at the moment that I walked through the arena to go and to go to another thing, they played that song and I had to stay for it. I think it's just magnificent. I'm so fond of it. I first heard it when you played it on your radio show a couple of years ago. Oh, well, and, and I'm delighted by that. I think that's fantastic. I'm glad that I paid it forward or backwards or whatever direction that that's gone in. <laughs> There's something of a repeated theme in Larry David's peerless Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry finds himself in a queue <laughs> and either he discovers he's chosen the slowest line or someone tries to cut in and he confronts them or someone tries to cut in and he defends them as he did in the most recent season uh, when a bloke cuts into the queue at a lunch buffet because he's going back for seconds and Larry thinks no that's fine he has got a queue he's, he's, got, he's already queued the etiquette of queue behavior on the surface it would seem very straightforward but in reality it's a panoply of of complexity I've noticed uh, that queue behaviour varies around the world. Here in the UK, very strong queue ethic, usually mm, self-policing, yes. no quarter given. Rigid, yes, very ready. rigid over here. In the USA, more confusing, as Larry David proves, slightly more liberal, maybe cut in if you can get away with it. But in countries like Spain or Italy, and I'm sorry to be <laughs> stereotyping, but this has been my, my experience. God bless uh, the meds, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um <laughs> If you anyone who's, who's ever travelled by public transport in Spain or Italy would know that as soon as the bus or train arrives, it's a free-for-all and every man or woman for themselves uh, as you get trampled underfoot. This week, Ian Sample, the science editor of Your The Guardian, uh, published a video explaining the psychology of cues and that it all comes down to our overwhelming sense for fair play. Uh, and that the fairness is more important than the length of wait. Now, are you a diligent queuer, Jules, or are you, are you a queue jumper? I have a terrible confession oh, to make no, in no, my no. answer to this question. Oh, no. It, it depends how drunk I am. That is, <laughs> that is the answer, I'm afraid. The, the melancholy truth of it. Usually, I'm a very solid queuer. I'm a very hmm. good queuer. I am that person who, if I have a whole... Um, a whole trolley of something and someone comes up to the supermarket that's quite busy and they've got five or six things in their basket mm. i do let them go in front of me because i think that is just that is sensible and that is you know so i'm a i'm a i'm a, I'm well, a pragmatic nice. mm. cure and i have had it happen to me as well again with the paying forwards backwards type things so so you know i think that is that is i mean one should be sensible and pragmatic in queuing um and occasionally i have um 
the way in which I, I have either pushed in or facilitated pushing into queues <laughs> is by having someone join the my party of people waiting in the queue or seeing somebody that I know in the queue and chatting with them and then falling into the queue as a result. That's how some of my friends got in to see Ed Miliband's speech at party conference in Labour in 2014 by, you know, spotting me in the queue and me letting them in. There was tutting. I, I, I wasn't inclined to, to, to give any credence to that tutting. But um, no, I... I do, I mean, I was, so I found myself in a queue that I did eventually exit last weekend. I went up to London, um, to, uh, ostensibly mm. to meet, meet up with somebody and watch some football. And we decided to go to somewhere called Flatiron Square in London. Mm. And oh, I haven't been before. And she'd suggested it as a good place to watch football. Oh, I looked it up online. It had lots of food marketing type places. It looked really good. So I came out of London Bridge and walked. And I was aware that lots of people were sort of standing in a line and oh, I just no. kind of walked past them and it was only to my mounting horror that I realised that it was a queue for where we wanted to go and that queue was at least 500 yards, oh, I would no. say. It went it went round the whole block and and and, uh, and and across a side street. So it was it was really long and I was very amused by the fact that... Um, People in front and behind of me were debating over whether or not they should stay in the queue or not and what were they going to do. And some people walked past and someone, you know, sort of gravitated <laughs> towards the queue. The other person said to them, what is it about your compulsion just to join a queue? And this person said, I'm English. And then they walked <laughs> off. So I'm a big fan of those people that joined. And in the end, we, uh, we, the reason that we gave, and again, queue etiquette, hmm. assisting people that are in queues. A nice Scottish lady and two, friend, uh, two of her friends walked past Albert at the queue. <laughs> and she leant over and said to me, Guys, you do realise it's one in, one out, don't you? Oh, and I said, I had no man. idea. And I said, thank you very much. And then that prompted me to be able to walk, you know, to walk around the corner and frantically try to find another pub in the, on the hottest day of the year in the middle of central London where we could try and watch a football match. Um, so in the end, I managed to find one. But, um, yeah, so... so my so I very much like that as queue etiquette for you know assisting people from not wasting their lives in queues. Um, I I just I I think queues are right and proper because I am English. You know I I despite occasionally being a bit drunk and pushing in because I've seen people I know. By and large, I do tend to stick to queuing etiquette. But equally, unlike you know like Larry David, I have some I have some pragmatism. So if someone only has a loaf of bread and two pints of milk, yes, you can go in front of me in my weekly shop. Why would why would I not allow that? Um, also, speaking of queues in supermarkets, um, the, the most middle class act of thuggery I've ever committed was the time that I walked <laughs> through Wimbledon Sainsbury's five items or less with six items. Oh, my God. Well, I that's know. It's like, it's like the world. The world teetered on the brink as I put my punnet of strawberries through in my other, my other five things in Wimbledon Sainsbury's. But no, it was it was the world stayed as it was. So, I, you know, life seems to be a bit short to get really irate with someone <laughs> pushing into a queue in front of you. But but equally, you know, if we have queues in if we don't have queues in England, what do we have? We have nothing. Your, your, yes, your, your London tale just reminded me one of the worst experiences of my queuing life was being... In the first, because we're English, we have queuing lives. We yeah, literally yeah. have reams of these stories. I was in the first half dozen or so people in the line to see Susie and the Banshees. Ah, um, yes. at Kingston many years ago. But mm. as the as the time of the the doors opening approached, more and more pushy people in fake oh, no fake plastic leather jackets that punks wore at the oh, time yes, of course, um, yeah. started pushing and a shoving 
um, so that my girlfriend and I, we became like a human buffer zone between the shoving people and the door. And then when the doors were opened with not a care for health and safety, they were just flung open. We were carried through on a, a human tidal wave, I remember. So that was, <laughs> that was an unforgettable situation. Now, there's something terribly stressful about queuing, I think. It's just that nervy combination of simply not knowing how long will be in line and the angst of policing to make sure that no one cuts in so it's a very very stressful part of, of life I think. it really is although one of my happier queuing experiences earlier on this year i think regular listeners might remember i went up to manchester to visit a friend of mine in uh, end of january beginning of february and one of the reasons for going was we went to see maxine peak dj at a oh, place yes. called electric in chilton and we had planned to go in and sit at a table and eat some dinner there beforehand. But unfortunately, everyone else had the same plan. And when I turned up, um, all of the tables were booked out. So we basically had to go away and come back. So we went away and ate, and then we came back. And, of course, we had to queue in drizzling rain for ages, like mm. absolutely ages. <laughs> and and I had seen some women earlier on in the evening in there who were sort of a bunch of... Uh, I don't want to say middle-aged because it sounds so insulting. But, you know, ladies that were a bit older than us, not much older than us, just a little bit older than us. And I would say they were, um, as my um, gay friend puts it, family. And they were all they were all sort of <laughs> hanging out in there. And um, and I'd sort of chatted them and I, I'd, I'd spoken to this lady, uh, the, one of the waitresses, and they said, oh, no, all the tables are booked. And one of these women had said to me, oh, are you coming to see Maxine? I said, yeah, me and my friend are going to come later on. And so... We, they said, then said they were gradually letting people in in groups. So they were sort of, it wasn't exactly one in, one out, mm. but it wasn't very far off. So we were aware that the queue was moving in front of us. And my friend Grace said, Oh, you know, are, are we going to make it in in this tranche or are they going to, are they going to shut the door? And, you know, is that, is that going to be it? And they literally, they were going right now to heaven. Eh? And they counted us as nine and ten. And then someone put the rope back up and went, No, you can't come in. And we literally, we said it was like Indiana Jones grabbing his hat from underneath the door. We literally went in and the doors closed behind us and these women who were still at the uh, still at the front of the sort of building cheered us in because they were so <laughs> delighted that we managed they went yeah and we, and we literally kind of cheered as we walked in because we just about got in so so yeah so there are there are good good moments in queuing i think that was that was one of my my happier queuing memories oh on the subject of queuing Perhaps people can help us on this because mm. although I I seem to be fixated on supermarkets this week, although <laughs> I don't I don't it used, I don't think they had them on. Do you remember when you used to go to the deli counter mm. and you used to take a ticket? Oh yes, yes, I don't think they have those ah. anymore. I, I, and that is, you know, peak queuing possibly in Britain. Not only do you have a queue, but you have a specific number that tells you where your place in the queue is, which allows for freelance queuing. So I, I had you can. I had the experience recently. Yeah. I had to go and have a blood test a few months ago, and the, mm. they had the deli counter number thing. You had to take this number, and um, you, you, you know, you then had to wait for your number to be called. And it did remind me of uh, yes, being in uh, in Waitrose. I mean, the, yeah. the only joke I can do for this for deli is blood sausage. Possibly that's the only <laughs> that's the only thing I can find to link the two. Now, there's always huge queues wherever you appear, uh, Jules, as you know. So where where will we find you and, and your queues this week? 
Well, that is a. I could also make a Jackie's joke here, but um, I won't. I'll be down at the American oh, Ground in Hastings. Yeah, mm. not really. I'll be down at the American Ground in Hastings tomorrow for celebrating Independence Shops Day. Oh. Um, lots of things on. I'll be in and out of Wow and Flutter during the day. Also, I will be watching this football match as well. Oh. Someone said to me there'll be screens everywhere, so we will need to find somewhere we can go in to watch England's um, hopefully victory over Sweden. Let's mm. uh, let's let's you know cross everything. Um, and uh, next Wednesday will be Indie Wonderland again on the Barricade Radio from Great. 8 until 10 p.m. Barricaderadio.com, Indie Alt Rock, and Miscellaneous. And um, I don't know when we're recording next week. So, mm. a Saturday, the 14th of July, for people that like to put things in diaries, I'll be DJing at the Dragon Bar in Hastings on George Street in Hastings Old Town, doing all sorts of things, which will be the perfect warm up for England playing in the World Cup final, mm. I am sure. Oh, I like it. <laughs> Thanks to you for listening. And yeah, always thanks to you. I, I'm never quite sure why you're still doing this, but well done, nonetheless. <laughs> and uh, thanks to executive producers Rona and Hilly, and um, an essence of old Havana to play us out, George. Indeed, as it is very sunny, and I was doing some jazz DJing earlier this week. I didn't have this on vinyl, sadly, but I do like this a lot. The, also, the other thing I like about it is I consider it to be aspirational jazz, in the sense that... Mm. The piano is not that complicated. I feel I could still feasibly learn how to play this and that it is not, you know, it's not like Oscar Peterson where it's really fast and there's loads of detail. It's, you know, it's 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 calm enough that I feel that maybe, I mean, that's completely unrealistic. Of course I wouldn't be able to play this, but I still feel that I could. So in a way, this is my aspirational jazz tune of the week and it is so hot that it's just, this just fits in perfectly, I think. So this is uh, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers and Cubano Chant.
You have been listening to a DAC Media production.